You see a 9-9. Olga Corbett's won a gold medal. There it is. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! You're listening to a podcast from key moments in Cold War sports history, a series showcasing the work of expert sports historians. I'm Vince Hunt and I'm hosting the series, exploring how sport became a frontier in an era of superpower politics and intense international competition. There are more than 30 podcasts in our series now, which you can listen to on iTunes and Stitcher. They're curated by Laura Deal at the Wilson Centre in Washington. Please feel free to rate and review them. Follow us on Twitter at CWIHP and hashtag Cold War Sport. And thanks to our regular listeners for their positive feedback. Distance runner Emil Zatopek was one of the first outstanding athletes of the Cold War period. He won golds in London in 48 and Helsinki in 52 and is to many one of the greatest athletes Czechoslovakia ever produced. An army officer used for propaganda by the communist regime but never wholly trusted by them, he encapsulates the contradiction of the Cold War period for Czechoslovakia. Aldrich Tumer is the director of the Institute for Contemporary History of the Czech Academy of Sciences in Prague. Zatopek was a, a complex figure, but he was undoubtedly a fantastic athlete. Yeah, most of all, he was really a great athlete and he was more successful than I don't remember any other Czech athlete or Czechoslovak athlete to be so successful at Olympic, uh, Olympic Games. But he, he was also involved in political issues and political development. As, as we mentioned, he was an army officer, member of Communist Party, used very strongly by communist propaganda abroad, but also also at home. But in, in some cases, he also didn't hesitate to help his friends who were not trusted by the regime, for instance, to go abroad and so on. Then he really made himself very important figure in August 19. 68 after Warsaw Pact invasion of Czechoslovakia when he protested and there are pictures of uh, him being in front of Soviet tanks on Wenceslav Square and addressing people and, and so on and so on. But then after the change of political situation 69 and 70 he again <laughs> changed a little bit and he apologized for what that he misunderstood uh, the real meaning of this brotherly help and, and so on and, and, and so on. Yeah, so his life fate or life career i think is is a really a mirror of very difficult times of of the life in communist czechoslovakia during the cold war and modern scholars might not recognize the sporting facilities that a runner like zatopek had to use in the immediate post-war the whole of europe was completely devastated and there'd just been a huge world war and Czechoslovakia was under a completely different political system. Uh, uh, paint some of the landscape for me. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was, as you say, maybe Czechoslovakia was not that terribly destroyed as, say, Poland or Germany itself. But still, but Zatopek, um, he, I think he started his career as an athlete already during the war and he had a special... Uh, special methods of training and and wearing cab- heavy boots and and so on and and uh, running of course long distances and so on. People were laughing when see, at least when seeing the photographs when he um, all the time looked like he will collapse in any moment. But then he he was able to win and uh, and so on. Yes, yeah, so sport played important role in well well in modern Czechoslovakia even before second World war but definitely after it and and very soon the communist regime as in other countries recognized that 
there is a certain role in in international prestige, but also in say in the legitimization of of the regime. So, so as in many other communist countries, the state supported uh, the sportsmen. So they were allegedly amateurs, but in fact, so like Zatopek, he was an army officer, but without doing any any military service, simply he was training and and um, and, and 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 so on. Um, <clears throat> so maybe the position of Sportsmen, sportswomen in communist Czechoslovakia was better than in in Western countries when they still were poor amateurs. Of course, they were professionalists. I don't know, football players or ice hockeyists with much better much better conditions and so on than in Czechoslovakia. But for athletes and and I don't know handball players and and rowing and so on. So maybe the po- conditions in in communist states were were better than than in other countries. In the immediate post-war period leading up to uh, the Prague Spring, what were relations like with Moscow? Did Czechoslovakia take the orders from Moscow when the phone rang? Well, well, che- politically, Czechoslovakia was a different case a little bit than, say, Poland and Romania or maybe Hungary. Czechs never had in history common borders with Russia. There were never wars between Czechs and, and Russians, unlike Poles. So there was a lot of sympathies and even illusions even back to the 19th century among Czechs and Czech political allies about Russia as a as a distant but strong Slavic, if not brother than cousin, who could help against the Germans, the Czechs, including the really very important people admired Russian literature and and so on. Yeah, and so then given the history of Minik and occupation and so on and the, and the liberation role of, of Red Army, so those, there were genuine sympathies for Soviet Union, but also illusions that among non-communist and non-communist politicians that, okay, will be very close ally of Soviet Union, but they will tolerate a, a more or less democratic regime within the country. They will not push Czechoslovak communists to take, uh, to take uh, power, but it, it didn't happen so then. February 1948, there was the communist takeover, and most of those people who had those illusions were had to emigrate or were in communist uh, communist prisons or or were even executed as a traitors and and spies and uh, and so on. Yeah. So then, from 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 the beginning of 50s, I would say the also in uh, also on the level of sports and sport relations the 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 attitude of Czechs and Slovaks towards Soviets or Russians if you want started to change so the ever present propaganda anything soviet is the best possible and we all of us in everything have to follow the soviet example and so on was very counterproductive in fact it it made even people who perhaps liked russians to feel like so if 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 they push this in your head every day so it it made made you crazy so even in late 50s and 60s it, it, we can we can see on some sport events that there was a growing allergy on anything soviet and so on especially it was in sport uh, in sports which were the czechoslovaks and soviets were real rivals like ice hockey or was from the beginning of the 60s the 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 games between Czechoslovakia and Soviet Union on world championships were definitely the most important sport event of the year, um, and uh, and so Russians were considered, I mean, Russian hockeys to be to be enemies, but they 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 symbolized something, or yeah, it was not just there was more in in this 
in this dislike than just uh, the fact that they mostly they won. So that's true. That I, I, if I remember it correctly, Czechoslovakia won 61 against Soviet Union at World Championships in Switzerland, and then only 68. So seven years in a row without uh, without a success and so on. So they were really strong, and and so on. Yeah. Uh, so this is one of the of the fields when we really can see how the political and social and sport perspectives somehow crossed each other and and i think this is um, really in in maybe in other non-democratic regimes but in communist uh, communist states definitely people couldn't express their political sympathies or national even national sympathies and so on but in a way they did it uh, they used the uh, the uh, the 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 occasions of sport, uh, sport matches, and so on. When they were twenty thousand of them, so you you could boo the, the Russians or or chant what what with with other people what you wished without without risking uh, anything else. So yeah, it played this role. How fundamental to Czech and Slovak life was sport, and and how did people adapt to the new socialist system in the Cold yeah. War? No, sport was very important, so especially in Czech part of the Czechoslovakia. So, as you perhaps know, Czech part of Czechoslovakia were highly industrialized and urbanized countries since the second half of the 19th century. So there was uh, the sport played important role even before World War One. So they were uh, the the oldest, uh, for instance, football clubs were uh, were established already in 90s of the previous century. So and. Slavia Praha really belonged in those two decades before World War One to the best European uh, football clubs, maybe except England and uh, and so on. Yeah, so it played important role, and it was it was just a normal part of of everyday life. So as I say, people either practiced sport or or especially they were fans and supporters and and spectators and so on. And then when there was a radio and radio broadcast at sport events from 20s and so on. So Slovakia was a little bit behind, but during those interwar years, it, it, it had, I would say, the same same role. Yeah, it had certain role also during the German occupation, for instance, at the beginning, there were, uh, there were games between Germany and, um, and the protectorate. Um, but when it ended, I think, 3-3 three to three in Breslau and so on. And the Germans perhaps didn't wish to risk that they could lose against those inferior <laughs> Czechs and so on. Yeah. So <clears throat> so it played an important role, but as, as anywhere else, the communists and even maybe more in Czechoslovakia, they tried to hijack this tradition or maybe pervert it. Yeah, so for instance, there was for after 48 um, um, a row of different... Uh, uh, interventions by communist states in in sport uh, those traditional clubs had to change their names like and adapt usually a soviet like name so my favorized uh, club slavia had to be dinamo praha instead of so never people chanted dinamo dotoho or something like that always it was slavia for them but officially uh, it was dinamo for a few years in 50s they even were um, forbidden to wear the traditional shirts which were Czech national colors, white and and red, uh, and so on. So I do I even do remember as one of my first memories when I was a little, a little kid, 1956, for the first time after five years, something like that. They again took it after 56 was a, a little bit 
<coughs> changing atmosphere and and so on yeah again on domestic level i think we can we can see that the sport was an important part of of everyday life that the communist regime tried to manipulate it and somehow change it and 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 use it in for its own propaganda and so on and especially eradicate what they used to call bourgeois traditions and so on so to get rid of the old style of supporting this team and not just like sport as a sport and uh, and so on but they didn't succeed and and when we move a little bit farther to 60s so i even would say that within the sport within around the football the certain renaissance of civil society started even before prague spring that was really interesting so I, back to slavia praha uh, they uh, they were really in bad situation 63 64 i think they played the second league only and so on and it, it looked like the club will will disappear and then but around the their supporters they were many intellectuals traditionally and writers and so on and they put together 64 such an action they gave money they published seven articles they asked that slavia should have back its traditional name so not dynamo but slavia and it happened they they put together a an association of supporters it, it was somehow they did it so it was possible according to an existing rules and thousands of people became members and and it started similar similar movement in other clubs so also they were changing their soviet like names into the traditional ones and so on it happens 64 65 it was also the time when the people started to carry flags on the on the football games and and to make marches after after the game so that was something until that time the communist regime strictly controlled public space so even the football fans with flags chanting and hundreds or thousands of them and marching through the streets was something which somehow undermined this absolute control of the regime on, on everything. So from one point of view, we can say that what happened first around Slavia, but then around other, other clubs, uh, 64, say 65, really was something like a predecessor of Prague Spring, which, which happened four years later. This is a process then of re-Czechoslovakianization of your domestic football and yeah, sporting yeah. leagues. And everything, yes, yes, yes. And I think, I think really the Czechoslovak communists were really they were stupid, but even more stupid than the other. For I don't, I don't think, for instance, they made such a they did it in Germany. So there were also Dynamo Dresden and Dynamo Berlin and so on. I don't think they did it in Poland, so they kept the traditional names and so on. A little bit they did it in Hungary, but then it changed, I think, back in 56 and so on. So they were they were doing things which really made people angry against them, even if, if it was without a real sense. So it's, it's, this is such a great difference to have this or that name. It's um, it's not yeah so so there was a combination of uh, so tradition something like as you maybe say national national pride and so on and and something like a hidden not very strong but hidden some entire regime standpoint behind this but changing the name of the football club that you've supported that your father supported your grandfather supported yes. I mean these are footballing yeah. traditions in Czechoslovakia yeah. that go back as far as they do so in England yeah yeah so yes that's true and that that I think the maybe they they dropped the idea but uh, definitely after 45 or 48 the communists really were persuaded that their task is to educate 
build and educate uh, new socialist men with new values, new ideas and so on. And as a, as a precondition for this to get rid of old traditions and so on. So they, they try to do it also in, uh, in the field of sport, but, but really they completely failed. That also looks at the question of does sport matter? And, and here it, it does, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, I definitely it, it mattered. Then maybe it does matter even today, but, but quite clear then. And then, especially after 1968, there was this, at least from Prague's point of view or Czechoslovakia's point of view, much more important international dimension. So sport was one of the, of not so many ways how to, how to manifest uh, dislike with occupation of Czechoslovakia and with the existence of the of this normalized communist regime in Czechoslovakia, 70s, 80s. And again, especially ice. Uh, ice hockey was a platform when, when you really could, what people could uh, express their now real, genuine anti-Soviet feelings and so on. So I, I guess you would know the story of um, the, the World Championship in ice hockey in 1969, when, two, when Czechoslovakia defeated Soviet team twice. And some some of the some of the players put away the red stars from the from the national emblem on the on their shirts and and they didn't shake hands with Soviet players. It was half a year after the occupation of Czechoslovakia and so on. And especially what followed were great celebrations of this victory in streets of not only Prague but many Czech and Slovak cities. They say there was half a million of people in streets, and once people were there, immediately it turned into an anti-Soviet demonstrations when the, the Soviet uh, military vehicles in flames and people attacked the barracks with stones and, and so on, so on. Then it was used, abused and so on. And then two weeks later, Dubček fell and was replaced by Husak. And, and so it was more or less the end of Prague Spring, not because of ice hockey, but in this context, it played uh, it played important role. But, but even later, so for instance, they were, I think, three times championships in ice hockey in Prague, 72, 78 and 85. And always, always the public not only, of course, supported Czechoslovakia, but, but anyone else playing against Soviets, so Sweden and Canada or United States and so on. And it really, I think, was a hard job for, for instance, TV broadcasting somehow to not to allow it to go in the air that that people are chanting something like go go USA or yeah so but it it belonged to it yeah there was another important um, very complicated issue for the regime and those were the the the, the cases when the the sportsmen decided to go to exile and many did it immediately after 1948 but then again especially ice hockeyists and tennis players during the 70s and 80s and all of us it was a great blow for instance after the, the uh, Ivan Lendl and Martina Navratilova perhaps for years the best tennis players worldwide uh, uh, left Czechoslovakia so for instance they for a few years, I think they didn't broadcast Wimbledon because always Lendl or Navratilova used to and I couldn't be there. So there was just very short, short information in newspapers on the backside. So Navratilova, I don't know who, 6 to 2, 6 to 3, and that was it. Not, not a word about that and so on. Yeah, and so they were, they were representants of ice hockey who suddenly disappeared and, and were not there. But then people, of course, uh, knew that. 
they are playing in NHL in in Canada and uh, and uh, and so on. And it 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 made, I think, it delegitimized de definitely the uh, the um, the the system, and they really didn't like it. And cases like that happened already forty eight, forty nine, and so on. The Soviet system is trying to contain the people, the sports yeah. men and women, the athletes. And and it's just impossible, really, isn't it? Yeah, I, I hope so. It seems to me that it was impossible. Finally, it uh, it failed, and um, and uh, so in politics or in economy, you can see it also. But in in fields like sport or culture or music and so on, so all those efforts of the system somehow to predict what people can do and what they cannot do and what they can play and what they can listen to and so on, it really didn't work. And the Cold War in Czechoslovakia made sport into a weapon. Yeah, it it was so so definitely. Czechoslovakia was not that successful as Soviet Union itself or Eastern Germany to export sportsmen who would bring home hundreds of gold medals. So we never. So it's it's really fascinating if you compare GDR and Czechoslovakia. So almost the same population and so on, but five times or ten times more medals at Olympic Games on the side of Germans. I don't know how they did it, but uh, one thing is that they concentrated on, on disciplines with, without such a con competition, so they never were good in ice hockey or football or tennis or like this, but in some minor disciplines when it was easier to get gold medals. But still, in case of Czechoslovakia, maybe of other countries, even more important role is this intra-block Cold War. So against Soviet Union and uh, and and on domestic level so they were they were for instance back to football clubs who were artificially established as an army club Dukla they were very good and very successful in late 50s and 60s they again belonged to the one of the best clubs on European level but they were uh, they were privileged by the by the system so they belonged to the army officially they were officers so any any young man like me had to serve in the army and then you definitely didn't like any any officer at all even in football dress and so on so for instance they for decades they play much better Dukla played much better used to play much better football than say the Slavia but still they had their like thousand people spectators and and 20,000 uh, on this very poor performance of Slavia and so on. So these traditions prevailed. And yeah, so it again, we speak about Cold War, but it played an important role also within the within the country. And I guess it was not just in case of Czechoslovakia, but of, of, of other countries too. You've been listening to a podcast from the series Key Moments in Cold War Sports History, a project bringing together experts from around the world and hosted here on the Wilson Centre's online digital archive at digitalarchive.org. These podcasts are part of the project The Global History of Sport in the Cold War, which is sponsored by the National Endowment of the Humanities, directed by Professor Bob Edelman of UC San Diego, Professor Chris Young from the University of Cambridge, and Dr Christian Osterman of the Woodrow Wilson Centre, and run in collaboration with the German Historical Institute Moscow, the Jordan Centre for Advanced Russian Studies at New York University, and Pembroke College, University of Cambridge. The presenter is Vince Hunt and the series is produced by Vince Hunt and Laura Deal.